Hey, welcome on to Mox with FP Wellman coming to you from the post-Thanksgiving turkey nap suburbs of St. Louis. Things are really shaping up in D.C. right now. It's gotten crazier. The Democrats elected Hakeem Jeffries and his team just yesterday as the new minority leadership team and uh, what is a historic passing the torch to a new generation in D.C. and the Democratic Party. Meanwhile, our friends in the Republican Party are in a cage match to see who comes out of top as the speaker or freaking anything for that matter. So I'm excited beyond measure to have a, a, a guest who has a front row seat that is lunacy for, lunacy for years and especially the midterm campaigns that we just sort of completed. Um, so we're not going to waste a lot of time today. Without further ado, let's get right to the show. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I am Fred Wellman, the host of On Demise with F.P. Wellman. You're in the right place. If you're looking for our show, you can find us everywhere from YouTube to Apple to Spotify. I, I think I think Semaphore, Pigeons, whatever you need to do, you can find this show somewhere. Uh, our guest tonight is just fantastic. He's got so much freaking going on right now between you know living in Colorado and he's got some health things he's got to take care of and work, so we're going to get right to it. So our guest is incredible Mark McKinnon, co-creator, co-executive producer, co-host of Showtime's The Circus, Inside the Greatest Political Show on Earth. Uh, got some awards coming again this year, I think. Of course, you're a legendary political advisor, reform advocate, media columnist, television producer. In his free time, he skis a lot and he rides mountain bikes, which is probably why he needs surgery. <laughs> you always find him in his travels wherever he goes. He's on a bike or something like that. I had the privilege to meet Mark when I was, uh, he was one of my instructors at Harvard, Harvard Kennedy School, Mark. So welcome to the show. It's great to have you here with us. I appreciate you taking time for us. Thanks, Coach. Well, as uh, Lyndon Johnson said, you're pissing on my leg, but it's warm and it feels good. <laughs> That's true. Well, you know, it's good stuff. You know, I, it was fun. I, 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 uh, you know, I went to Harvard's Kennedy School as, a, as still a lieutenant colonel in the Army. Uh, General Petraeus got a bride. I should get a graduate degree. That was his thing, if you remember. And uh, so I was getting ready to head out of there and go to the Pentagon. I decided I was going to focus my studies on political communications. My theory being... If I'm working for three and four star generals, that's political communication. So one of us should know what we're doing. <laughs> and and that was, I think, your first first semester of your taught like a class. I think you go periodically back there and teach for a semester. You focus on political communication. It was freaking incredible. Yeah, I, I had a feeling I might see you again after that. And <laughs> I, I thought that the uh, the military services could use a lot more kind of talent that you have. And, and now I, I'm glad to see the politics is utilizing the kind of talent you have. Yeah, well. funny how life goes, right? Here we are all these years later. It's 15 years later, I think. So, you know, I always like to ask guests when we come on, you know, Mark, how did you get here? I mean, we know where you are. Um, I know you had five campaign, winning a primary and presidential campaigns with, with Bush and with others. You, you've been in this game for a long time. Where did you start as, as young, young Mac McKinnon coming <laughs> out of college? How did you get into this world? Pretty accidental. Uh, I... I ran away from home in high school, hitchhiked to Nashville, banged around the music business right. for uh, about a decade, ended up in Austin, Texas. And then I uh, realized that on the trajectory I was on, I was going to be the second act at the Holiday Inn in Pflugerville when I was 50. <laughs> so I, I got a little higher education and I got into journalism. I always loved to write. That's why I like music. I like to write music. Right. And, and uh, I always loved politics. So I wrote about politics and I was the editor of a newspaper there in Austin. and. Uh, uh, cover politics, and there was a very talented young reformer type uh, who was a state senator who ran for the United States Senate in 1984. His name was Lloyd Doggett. He's actually still in Congress. He he lost that race for the Senate, but he later won a congressional seat. But it was a cool race because for me, uh, A, because it was my first one, but also because I got to work with James Carville 
from Paul Begala. Paul was a friend of mine at, at UT, at the University of Texas. Ah. And it was one of James's first campaigns, and he was a complete maniac and brilliant. <laughs> Still and is. I learned I learned a ton from him. Anyway, we won an upset race, uh, upset primary, and then lost in the general. It was 1984, the Reagan year, so all the Democrats got crushed. But this is when I discovered you can fail upwards in politics, and I got a job with the governor, and then banged around some more. And then I ended up in Louisiana doing a race over there, which was really cool. A friend of my a mentor said, if you think you know anything about politics, go to Louisiana and get your PhD. So I did that. I learned that lesson. And then, I, then I went to New York and worked in the uh, sort of uh, media consulting world and worked not all over, not only all over the country, but I worked uh, around the world. I worked in South America and Africa and, and some exotic places because the guy I worked for was one of the very first people to export um, uh, U.S. style campaigns to to really do emerging third world democracies that had never had elections before. It was right. a, it was a very interesting time and a lot of great experience. And then I ended up back in Texas and started my own firm. And then I uh, worked initially for Hannah Richards. And then I crossed the bridge uh, when uh, George W. Bush came to town and started preaching about compassionate conservatism, which really hit a chord with me. And then it was just off to the races with Bush and then later McCain and then later the show. Yep. And then, and, and here you are. And then Harvard in the between. <laughs> and I, what, I loved, yes. what I loved about our conversation was, and, and I took a lot of what you taught with us, not to, again, pee on your leg, but what I found fascinating, is I actually wrote a blog about it years later, but the, you know, the, what the, the basis of what you taught and is, is, has carried me through my political career too, and my, my army public affairs and my PR firm that I did was, was that the storytelling hasn't really changed, right? With story, a story is still the same. You have a hero, you have a obstacle to overcome. And you, you started the whole class with that way. And I always tell people the same thing. It's like, you got to tell a story. It was always the problem with the army. I used to say, look, we're not telling stories effectively. We're, we're briefing people, <laughs> you know, and we're losing the American public. And yeah, I think, I think I that's amazing. That, it's just success in a lot of ways, right? That was a real aha moment for me because, uh, you know, I realized uh, at one point after having worked as a songwriter and then in journalism, then in campaigns and then in television, that the, the glue that, that connected all of that was storytelling. Right. And, and also the bigger aha moment was to realize just how much that applies to politics and campaigns. And the best example of that uh, is the 2016 campaign. And um, you, you, I mean, it's sort of a classic narrative filter that you and I have talked about, which yep. is, you know, you, you establish a threat or an opportunity, you uh, identify a victim, mm -hmm. you identify the villain, you uh, establish a, a solution and reveal the hero. Um, and so when you look back at 2016, I could pick anybody off the street and I'd say, what was Donald Trump's story? And whether they voted for him or not. They'd say some version of make America great again. Right. Uh, you know, the, 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 the villains were Mexican rapists coming across the border, the Chinese bad trade deals, the media elites in Washington. Uh, the victims were hardworking blue collar Americans losing their jobs and their quality of life. And the solution would build a wall, tear up the trade deals, drain the swamp, the hero of Donald Trump. Some version of that you get pretty right. close to from any randomly selected person. You ask any person on the street what was Hillary Clinton's story. They, they wouldn't have a clue because she didn't have a clue. Right. Now, on paper, she was arguably one of the most qualified people to ever run for president, first right. lady, senator, secretary of state, on down the line, and thought about it forever, and yet, ironically, hadn't figured out the very first clue of running for office, which was, was first of all, project and communicate a clear rationale about why you're running, which she never did. And, right. you know, I mean, she sort of admits that. She says, listen, my husband 
you know, was the best in the world. And he was in terms of political communication, but she was, she was a nerd, you know, she was, she was great on policy stuff. And, but if you just put out a bunch of really smart policy papers and never connect the dots for people, then you're going to end up where Hillary Clinton did. Yep. And, you know, I was going to ask you next about, about the season, the, the, you know, the, of the, the circus and then the midterm. But I, I think did, that takes us right to a good place, which is DeSantis, right? DeSantis running for office. And a lot of people talk about DeSantis as the next big thing in the Republicans. He's going to replace Trump. But I think I tell people all the time, don't assume that because the thing about you just said it so clearly. Trump spent his entire adult life marketing Donald Trump, the brand, right? He he, he knew how to tell the Donald Trump. He's, he's you may hate him or love him. Obviously, I hate him. <laughs> but you have to respect the game. The, the man knows how to market things. And that's his entire life has always been marketing a thing. And he ended up marketing himself very well. Ron DeSantis, well, people think there's a, a, he's got the bullying thing down. But the guy has zero charisma, <laughs> right? And, and, and I'm not necessarily sure he has that marketing of, of, of Ron DeSantis' talent. I think you dealt with him this, this year. I mean, do you see that too? Is a, it's, not, it's not a handoff one-for-one exchange in any way, shape, or form, right? No, I mean, listen, I mean, he's, he's got a lot, a lot going for him. I mean, he's, he's pugnacious and he has a real thumb on kind of the cultural pulse, particularly the Republican party. Uh, He's a really good attack dog. Um, And, uh, but, but, you know, that's, that's all well and good, but, you know, he's, he, uh, he's also, uh, and we, we've had him on the show before we, in fact, yep. we were in his debate prep in 2016 right. before they decided that nobody besides Fox News should cover his campaign. <laughs> uh, but, um, it's a different ball game when you do a presidential, it's a much bigger stage, a much hotter spotlight. And, and, and I think the most difficult thing for him is just going to be that he's got to start delegating. And, you know, he, I mean, basically his decision-making tree right now is him and his wife and that's about it. Yeah. And I talk to people who, you know, gone to work as like, you know, an assistant scheduler and had to go through three weeks of interviews. And, wow. you know, you just can't do that on a presidential campaign. Right. And you got to retail politic, too. I mean, it's you got to actually go meet voters and one on one. Ron DeSantis can be pretty chilly. Yeah. And yeah. So we'll see. You know, we'll see. But, but I mean, listen, I, I, I say that. And I also think that he's. He's kind of he's Trump without a lot of the Trump baggage too. I mean, he's got an instinct. He's got a real instinct that. And you know, listen. I mean, you the, you can't you can't argue with the numbers in Florida. I mean, Hillary Clinton won Miami Dade County by almost thirty points, and and DeSantis just won it by ten. That's a swing of forty points. I mean, it, it's shocking the way it's gone. And and he's very popular down there. I talked to I have family in Florida, and they freaking love him down there. And I think yeah. I think we do we dismiss him at our risk, um, like we dismissed Trump, you know, five six years ago. But by by the same, I time, think so too. But I think there's also some other people that I you know, like Glenn Youngkin. I think is a really attractive candidate who's got a lot of potential. So there's there's other people out there, and as you know, it's it's it, there's <laughs> there's a long way to go, and a lot's going to happen between now and then. Yeah, and and so back to where we're at now. Um, a really unique thing yesterday. I, I we saw the Democrats voted uh, Hakeem Jeffries in. I, I, I'm sure you've met him. Uh, I, I had the opportunity to meet him in the I'm summer. Show much. It's great. Yeah, and, and he's just a terrific speaker. He's very engaging. Uh, he's smart as hell. My God, um, they engineered a very peaceful transition. You know, I laugh because you know, as Will Rogers said, right? I, I'm not a I'm not a member of any organized political party. I'm a Democrat, <laughs> but we've almost seen. But on the other side, you got the Republicans right now in a cage match. I mean, the Democrats have engineered a pretty good passing the torch. And I mean, what's your? You've been doing this a long time. I mean, is yeah, that significant, isn't uh, it? I mean, what do you think? 
it's it's a little bit counterintuitive right. uh, on one level because uh, having worked you know half my life with Democrats, half Republicans, the yep. one difference I can tell you is that when Republicans say march, everybody salutes. When Democrats say march, everybody jumps in a mosh pit. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, but on the other hand, the the thing that has struck me as really um, tone deaf, uh, at the very least, on the part of the Democratic Party is that. You know the 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 logical um, demographics of the Democratic Party is younger and more diverse. Right. Uh, I mean that's that's you want to fish where the fish are, and you got to you got to give you got to give those fish the right bait, and the right bait is not necessarily eighty year old, seventy six year old speakers and uh, and presidents. So right. uh, it's just when you look at the the leadership of the parties. Uh, across the board, I just thought it's 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 nuts, uh, but especially for the Democratic Party, right? You know, who 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 are trying to they think that well, you know, the old I think we've thrown the demographics as destiny uh, myth out the window, and Trump had a big hand in that. But yep. there's still, if if you look at just kind of the policies and ideas of the Democratic Party, it's going to have a, a a favorable attraction to uh, particularly diverse and younger voters and so that their leadership should look like that yeah yeah and they they engineered this peaceful transition which is shocking to me I, <laughs> give great credit to hoyer and pelosi yeah. the next big question is will biden do the same right and that's i think it'd be terrific if he did i think it's highly problematic if he doesn't. yeah it's great it would be courageous it would be unique and courageous i think if he did and well, you, know, you know i don't know if you remember this but during the campaign he he actually said Mm-hmm. That he was a transitional figure. He did, you know. And so if he if he if he lives up to that, he'll pass the torch. Yeah, and it, it'd be a remarkable thing. I mean, you see, what and it'd be so much better for his legacy ultimately. It just remarkable. My God, what, did you see where Newt Gingrich was was saying? Hey, yeah. <laughs> you saw that today, right? Newt Gingrich yeah. saying, "Oh, you got the Republicans are screwing up by not understanding how good he is and what his legacy is and the successful he he has had a very successful." And that's what's interesting, too, is the Democrats have been in line for two years. You know, we, we really thought there would be cats and dogs with with the the, the far the progressive caucus and all. Uh, and there's been a little glitches here and there, like the letter to Ukraine. But but for the most part, you know, Speaker Pelosi kept in line. Then, and, and we heard the rumors about Hakeem taking over over the summer uh, when I was in New York for an event. And and to see it go so smoothly was uh, really gratifying, you know. But let's switch the other side. I mean, we've got a cage match going on, right? I mean, it's it's. They're shooting each other. They're shooting each other in the back. They're fighting over the the, the you know the Freedom Caucus is holding uh, holding McCarthy hostage. I take great joy in that. Uh, <laughs> I admit it freely. Uh, where do you think this is going to settle out? I mean, th- this is a hell of a fight. And, and you got such a great perspective. Having you hung out with all these people over the summer. I mean, you hung out with Mar- well, your colleagues did. Jennifer hung out with Marjorie Taylor Greene. I mean, um, where do you see this shaking out? Well, I, I think the Republicans may may uh, have to admit in the long run that it's better to either be in the minority or have a big majority, <laughs> but right. a slim majority is, is just death by a thousand cuts. And, yeah. and yeah, I mean, because uh, what happens is it puts enormous control and influence in the hands of a very few people. And the very few people are not consensus centrist types. Yeah. They are people who are the Marjorie Taylor Greens and the Matt Gateses. Those are the people who are going to be punching the buttons uh, and and directing where the party goes and what the policy is going to be. And so that's, you know, I, it, it, Kevin McCarthy is just. And we had David Jolly on, who's a former congressman from yep. uh, Republican congressman from Florida, who yep. 
actually put the bull in McCarthy last time McCarthy tried this. And so he knows him really well. And he just said, it, it's going to be the most miserable existence of any congressman in history because <laughs> he just gets it coming and going. And by the way, he may not be speaker. Right. That's the thing. This is all over. I mean, he's going to, he's going to sort of hand over his soul and maybe not even, you know, the, the devil may not deliver on the, on the package. Well, I, I, I'm happy with that. You know, him going down to Mar-a-Lago after January 6th was such a key moment in, in, you know, Trump kind of coming back, um, being put back into the leadership position of the party and all. And, and so I do fault McCarthy for that. So his twisting in the wind gives oh, me sure. joy. You know? Yeah, no, he's reaping what he's sowed. That's sure. it. You ride the tiger or what is the leopard face eating all those? There's a million terms for it, right? <laughs> you know, and they're eating. And, and and I think, I mean, what do you, I mean, with that in mind, with the Marjorie Taylor Greene taking power and, and, and all these folks in the mix, I mean, what kind of governing will they do? I mean, we, we already know they're talking greatly about, you know, all the investigations, Hunter Biden's laptop, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I mean, it's going to be insanity. Well, it, it's not, it's, it's not, it's, yes, it's, of course it's insanity, but it's also just strategically so misguided because yeah. Republicans have such an opportunity. They had such an opportunity in this last presidential and threw it away. Yeah. They had, you know, first of all, they had the historic wins at their back. They had the issue wins at their back on the economy, on crime, on yep. immigration. Uh, I mean, it, that should have been a slam dunk. And yet they're, because they're being so controlled by it, the extreme components of the party that it's just helping them claw their way to the bottom. And, um, you know, we're, we're the, what's going to happen here is that while there are lots of, of, of lots of, of good ground to plow for Republicans on lots of different issues, including and especially the border, um, where, they're, where Democrats, I think, are hugely vulnerable, that they're going to go off on this tangent of not only investigating Hunter Biden's son, but Anthony, you know, Anthony Fauci, yeah. uh, the Homeland Security chief, yep. just right down the line, it's going to be it's going to be investigation city on on matters that just don't matter to to um, yeah, typical right. Americans. Right. You know, they don't give a shit about investigating Anthony Fauci and you know where the you know where the virus started or some. Yeah. You know, that's not a, they they. That's going to be a big, huge distraction, and uh, and you know, I mean, they sh- the party should be listening to people like Gingrich and Rove about you know get get off that stuff and get onto the economy and issues that people care about and 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 like I said, but I don't think they'll be able to do it. I, I yeah. just think that they have cast their lot with the the Greens and the Gateses and the and the rest of the the, the crazy crew, and they're they're in a position right now with great power and influence and. We know there's normies, right? We know there's normie Republicans. There's, I think of my my old my old congressman Rob Whitman in Virginia one, for example, who is just a regular dude, right? <laughs> I mean, do you think there's a danger? I mean, uh, or even a chance that at some point, t- traditional conservatives, the the old school Republicans, will lose? You know, the, I mean, with such a slim majority, it just takes a few people to caucus the other party just to caucus with them, and they, you know, it, it would be interesting to see if they can hold this crew together. I mean, it's unlikely i know because i'm a dreamer but i mean it would be interesting to think would it if do you think the how will the normies handle this do you think well i mean are there any normies left right i mean i guess not start there right i mean if you're talking about a speakership that's going to be determined by three or four or five votes yeah if you got three or four votes that's you know that's a lot you can you can you can swing the yeah you can swing a mighty big bat at a mighty big ball so Uh, there's a real opportunity there. Um, so in a weird way, you have kind of the 
the moderates who have who could potentially have some influence, as will the extremists. You know, here in Missouri, I interviewed on the on the first season of the show uh, Crystal Quaid, who is the minority leader, the House Minority Leader here. If you know Missouri state politics, you may not. It's a supermajority Republican right now. It's, I think it's the second largest legislature in the country, by the way. So they got like 120, and so they don't. Supermajority means, as you know. They don't even need Democrats to show up. There's there's no law in Missouri. They need the other party to be there, so they can't do the whole you know board of plan to leave the state thing. The, the the Republican Party here in Missouri can pretty much govern as they see fit. But interestingly enough, you know she's done a very effective job as a minority leader to get what they want because there is enough of those normie Republicans that especially last cycle where there was people they literally had like three Republicans go to jail. Um, they had to work with the Democrats, and and so she fought a very effective campaign as a minority leader to get what she wanted passed. That was the kicker. She got great bills passed against the against the majority opinion because enough of the centrist and the and the and the normal type Republicans were able to kind of bend over and vote with her. Uh, and the thing, I I do kind of see the same kind of situation. I, I can see the kind of scenario in the new Congress where they only need four or five Republicans every now and then to kind of come over to their side to kind of scuttle a bill or even pass a bill against the majority rule. Um, do you see, I think Hakeem Jeffries has that well, talent or how do you yeah, see I mean, that? listen, they, they could, they could in theory elect a democratic speaker. Right. I mean, yeah, it, it's, and that's a, that's a hell of a threat that they can hold over <laughs> the, the other Republicans. So, imagine. you know, I, I, it, it'll be interesting to see the one thing that I've learned about politics is you learn a whole lot more about from losing than you do by winning. Yes. And if, if Republicans learned any lessons, which they sure should have because they got their ass whacked, then there, there could be a pretty, some pretty strong corrective winds blowing. I, I hope so for the sake of the country and for the sake of the party. Yeah, and we've got the, you know, obviously you, you, you were down in Georgia quite a bit. You covered the race between Warnock and Walker quite heavily. We're facing the uh, the runoff in a week. How do you see that going? What are the winds blowing for, in your opinion right now? I mean, honestly, <laughs> runoffs are all about turnout, right? Yeah, I think you can stick a fork in it. I mean, the, the only rationale for uh, a Walker candidacy in the very first place was this notion that it would be one more Republican to uh, accomplish a Republican majority in the Senate, and that's gone. So the, the whole rationale for his candidacy is gone. And so, you know, I listen, I still think it's possible he could win, but I think it's improbable at this point. I think Warnock's got a lot of wind in his back. Yeah, I think we all kind of expected, and that was some of the predictions we made, is that the Republicans would flee. You wouldn't see the big push like there was for the runoff, you know, just two years or yeah, two years ago uh, with – Loeffler and, 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 and Warnock because simply there was more at stake then and you had the giant routes. Nobody's gone. <laughs> I think somebody pointed out today that DeSantis's governor's mansion is 20 miles from Georgia, yet he hasn't managed to make his way across the border to campaign for Herschel Walker. Uh, it yeah, does feel I like mean, it's been abandoned. Unless you're really passionate about werewolves and vampires. I don't know. <laughs> that was amazing. Yeah, it's always something. And it, it's uh, it's a remarkable thing to watch these things unfold. Um, and, you know, as you know, we saw a lot. We saw each other last in, in Georgia with Marcus Flowers and, and Marjorie Taylor Greene and, and, and seeing these things unfold. Um, it's been very interesting. So, yeah. I, How's I, it doing Mark is doing? Mark's doing great, actually. We we're just talking this morning. So he is uh, he is not done. Uh, <laughs> I, well, that's what, that's the feeling I got. I think that man's got a future. I'm not sure what it is, but he's got a lot of talent. So I hope he sticks around. He has some good ideas cooking, and uh, he is not stepping on stage. He's been actually working real hard for Warnock, helping him out. It, he just yesterday dropped off a $10,000 check for Paulding Democrats for their get-out-the-vote efforts. So well, I think he'd be a great statewide candidate. So. 
that thanks i i uh, I, pre- I agree <laughs> i will i want to argue that point i think he is and he's he's got a great future and and he, and and a very good you know ran a good ran a good clean campaign and ran a professional i i think that you saw that campaign up and close it could have gotten real bloody uh and i'll give yeah. marcus credit marcus as the candidate gave us very strict instructions because i have to run this race a certain way it's a good help <laughs> I was proud of that. I mean, we, we made a conscious decision to run a clean. I think I told, I told you this when we met is like we made a conscious decision to not go over the top and, and, and dirty, get ourselves in the mud. Um, you can win, right? You know this. you can win, you can win dirty, right? And you can lose and also be losing dirty. Uh, and yeah. we made a conscious decision to campaign. We, if we were going to lose, we're going to lose it with our heads held high with our ethics and our morals and, and, and do it in a way that was, um, appropriate. I, and I think we did. I think we acquitted ourselves well in that, uh, um, we never got too dirty. I, I really expect other people to show up. And I'll, I'll ask the last question is, you know, I, it's something we've been chewing on quite a bit with the Marcus Flores campaign, right? A lot of people beat us up for running that race um, when it was an R plus 35 district, right? It was, it's the impossible win. It's impossible win. We consistently see Democrats and, the, and, the, and I think the major super PACs as well making these decisions of what are winnable races. Do you feel like we're ceding ground too much? I mean, I, a number I've been just obsessing over, which will come key in the next couple of weeks in the work I'm doing next, is the fact that 23 Republicans ran for the House unopposed, to include Paul Gosar. Uh, on the other side, only six Democrats ran unopposed, which tells me that the, De- the Republican Party has made a key decision. They're going to run everywhere, even if they're going to lose, whereas our friends on the Democratic side and the progressive, and I and I mean the PACs too, the big PACs, including my old colleagues at Lincoln Project, sat out these races. I mean, what do you think that means? You've been in politics a long time. Do you feel like that's- Oh, I think you should show up everywhere and play as hard as you can, wherever you can, whenever you can. I Listen, I think the best example I can think of on that front is here in Colorado where, where uh, you know, Boebert- Right. Uh, who's, a, you know, as extreme as you get in the Republican Party, almost, well, there's a recount going on right now. She won by 500 votes. And if people had paid more attention to that race- he would have won easily. Right, right. No third party. We had yeah. that. We had that with Marjorie Taylor Greene, right? You know, not a single third party, be it a PAC, you know, super PACs, all these different ones, did a single ad against some of the most execrable people in Congress. They just he sat those out. A conscious decision was made that they were just winnable. Uh, and then here we are with Boebert almost winning it. Um, you can't help yeah. but wonder if the, if more parties had gotten involved and it had put that push into to go after these people because you know politics right you, you learn this lesson all your all your years you just don't know what's going to happen um you know well you, i just you know. say i mean this last election was a great example of it i mean you know everybody was wrong you know they were right. wrong about 16 they were wrong about this one right right and and the idea i mean it keeps me up at night mark i'm not gonna kid paul gosar one of his own family says he shouldn't be elected ran unopposed um i mean it's, yeah, I didn't there, even know that. That's yeah there's gerrymandering davy lesko ran and and the other thing we talk about a lot is we know that if there's an opposed race that 1.5 percent more people show up so i can't help if katie hobbs would have had a cleaner you know a, a bigger gap and all these other races have had a bigger gap if we had just run candidates so people turned out to well race. that's a good point if, if, if gosar had an opponent then hobbs would have had more votes yeah. And so it's one of the things that's been literally keeping me up at night in the last few days since since the Flowers campaign and the, and the Marjorie Taylor Greene uh, victory. We, we did gain 10 points from uh, I remember the rule was there's only only 20. No, no Democrat had ever broken 27 percent in the district. We, we did 35. Um, you know, I like to win, but I like to make progress, too. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, but uh, and that's the thing. We, we you know, you run a good campaign, you turn out um, the party. Uh, what I thought was fascinating was the party operations in that district were 
were more energized. We gave them money from the campaign to energize them. They could organize better. Several party committees had not even met in person in like two or three years, and we, we, we helped them. If we do those kind of activities, maybe we won't win this cycle, but we'll win the next one, right? I mean, I think it is part of fight everywhere, right? Yeah. Well, I appreciate your insight as always. I, I'm not going to keep you long. I, I know you've got things to do. So you just got done with the season. You guys are up for some awards this season, right, for the circus? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, thanks. It's uh, we. I mean, the remarkable thing about this show is, first of all, that it ever got made. I pitched it for ten <laughs> years. Yeah, and then then we then we got the green light to do it. And but I thought it'd just be. You know, it was really designed to be about campaigns. So I thought it'd be one and done, or maybe come back four years later for the next presidential campaign. But yeah. three weeks into the Trump administration, they said keep going. And I was at first skeptical. I thought, I don't know, it's Washington. How interesting could it be? Well. <laughs> <laughs> pretty interesting <laughs> I was wrong so now listen we're heading into our eighth season more than 100 episodes and you know one of the things when they first assigned us the show I I thought man there's just gonna be weeks where there's not that much happening well 120 episodes and that's never happened not once I mean every week is what are we gonna cut what are we gonna cut just because there's, there's just there's so much going on in American politics and it's it's you know it's at times concerning and and um and scary and existential um but it's important and it also happens to be pretty highly entertaining right i mean that's the thing i think the way you guys present it as well i mean i've been on your side of that right at your the producer for your for our our episode i think we started negotiating two months out right <laughs> i think you were in preseason yeah. and, I, and I, i'll be very count if you heard i was like yeah if you bring mckinnon i only want mac <laughs> I, mean, well, I mean the bottom line is i mean despite the name of the show i really believe in the nobility of politics and the yes. pursuit of it and the people who work behind the scenes and and that's our goal and our ambition of the show is to show that it's really is important that it's worthwhile and that uh and that there's a lot going on behind the scenes that people never see that's really important I love that as as well as behind the scenes guys and you know, trying to trying to kind of explain what we do uh, and and how it works. Uh, it's not always a noble business, you know. You say you're in politics, the conversations get really interesting when you live in Missouri, for example. Uh, very quick, I I tell people that I clean stripper poles, you know. Yeah. It's just more yeah. reputable, yeah. <laughs> you know, really yeah. high class, you know, in, in the good clubs only, you know. And like, oh, okay, well, you're in a reputable business, um, <laughs> but that's politics for you, uh, you know. Well, what's so? What's next? You, I mean, obviously, you've got some, you know, got some medical stuff. You've been very open. Oh about yeah, that, no, so. I just I've got some uh, long overdue back surgery just so I can keep up the bike and stop crashing bike. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, yeah. Air McKinnon is grounded for a little while. Uh, good. When do you start up uh, filming? Back again? in February. Back in February. No season. kidding. That's soon. Yeah. So we'll be back pretty soon. There's, like I said, there's, it's, 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 it's hard to go off the air because all our, our, right. you know, our, we're like, why are you off? This is happening. That's happening. There's no good time to go off. Well, let the dust. I mean, we can't. It, it takes a lot out of us and it takes a lot to produce the show. Yeah, you're on the road a lot. So, I mean, you guys are all over the country. It's, uh, it's busy. It's, it's just a time. Well, we make a documentary in a week that usually right. takes six months. So. Right, right. It's fascinating. And again, it's I like, mean, look at that Lincoln Project documentary. How long that, you know. <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah, it took a couple, you know, a couple of years to get it out. It is almost, you know, almost two years, right? Yeah, I did from they filmed for essentially a film for just one month. That's the kicker is just one month in Park City or two months. And then it took two years to get it out. And and I, I talked to Fisher literally a month before he was still working on the final episode of five. Um, yeah. A month so, out, you know, so we do that in a week. <laughs> yeah. And, and I explained that to my colleagues at, at the flowers campaign. Like, well, you know, when we can nail it down, I was like, never, <laughs> you know, when, when Mark pulls up, we're shooting and I can just go with it, you know, and that's, that's, that's the way it works. Well, thanks, so. thanks for your help. That was, oh, it was, it was a fun. good team. Oh, it's worked out. It's a, it's a really great team. It's it a joy to see them, you know, 
get there. By the way, our favorite moment, maybe of all time in circus history, and Marjorie Taylor Greene even mentioned this, uh, was from that episode. It was the guy who being shot out of the cannon. I knew it. I knew. <laughs> that was amazing. I mean, just this little, this little, you know, this little affair going on. Yeah, and uh, and you know, it, it was a great little fair, and and there was this guy advertising himself as the human cannonball, and it turns out that he's he is like the guy. Yeah, he goes around the country. He right? owns like all the Guinness Book of World Records for the human <laughs> cannonball, and they shot this guy out of a cannon. They do that, yeah, over the Ferris wheel. It was incredible. It was really cool. That was so much fun. Retail politics, baby, right? <laughs> you're, you're going to fairs, you're going to ag fairs, you're shaking hands, you're eating corn dogs off camera. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it's great. And where can we find you online, Mark, for people hunting you down? Well, you can get me at uh, M McKinnon, uh, at M McKinnon on, on Twitter and any other social media platforms, yeah. M McKinnon. Same, same with FP Wellman for me everywhere I go. Um, this has been a great I really appreciate your time, Mark. As always, I appreciate the people with the audience. You can find me at FP Wellman on Twitter. I'm glad you've stayed on the playing field, my friend. Keep kicking it hard. And yeah, yeah, there. I ain't quitting yet, brother. It's uh, They haven't, they haven't got rid of me yet. We well, need I appreciate you. you. All right, we'll let you go. Good Thank work, you man. so much. Have a All great right, day. Yeah, bye. Thanks for joining uh, the show. We really appreciate you coming out. Uh, as always, you can find us uh, on Democracy Pod on Twitter. Or you can find us on YouTube, which is also now on Democracy Podcast on our YouTube channel. I am FP Wellman. As always, we have to thank our sponsors, Vi Media. Vi Media is your digital marketing agency partner based right here in the greater St. Louis area. Also nationwide, they can do all of your digital marketing needs, and they've done great work. They've been a great partner for us. You can find them at vi.media, which is V-I-E dot media on the web. I hope you check them out. Like I said, I'm, I'm good friends with them. They're going to be helping me out quite a bit as we go forward. I hope you had a wonderful holiday period. We're going to December. Things are going to be interesting. The guests this month, it just, you just saw Mark McKinnon. We've got uh, some incredible guests sold out. O'Brien is going to talk about the media. I'm going to, I've got Michael Steele, the former RNC chairman, who's a, just a character and a brilliant man, is going to join us. Going to have Ruth Ben Gied, who wrote this book, Strong Men, talk about the authoritarian movement. We'll probably get a chat in about our friend Ron DeSantis and, and so many more lined up. I'm uh, I'm trying to make uh, I'm trying to make Matt happy back here by actually scheduling guests weeks out as opposed to the day before and giving him a headache and myself. <laughs> so again, the show is just getting rolling. It's getting better and better. I hope. Hope you'll tell your friends. I hope you'll smash that subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts or your YouTube channels. This is the place to be, and it's just going to get better. So thanks so much for joining us. As always, on Democracy with FP Wellman, and we'll see you again next week.